Would you please rise for the reading of God's holy word? We are in Matthew chapter 2, and I'm going to be finishing off the chapter today. I'm just going to be reading, uh, doing something a little different, and reading four different verses, none of which is next to each other. So we're going to just sort of uh, skip through the chapter. In ver- I want to start with verse 6. Now, all these verses are talking about Jesus' uh, birth and the events around Jesus' birth. It says in verse 6, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of du- Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now go down to verse 15, the end of verse 15, quoting from the prophet Isaiah, says this, Out of Egypt I called my son. Now skip down to verse 18. This is quoting from Jeremiah. It says this, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Now verse 23, at the end of verse 23, quoting from three prophets, Jeremiah, uh, Zechariah, and Isaiah, the very end it says, He shall be called a Nazarene. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that you just introduce us to Christ this morning in a way that perhaps we've never been introduced to Him. God, it's our prayer that we would fasten ourselves to the Lord, our Lord, Jesus Christ. God, we come here to be blessed by You, Lord, that we may be a blessing to others. God, I just pray for for your grace that we would be like Christ who the Bible says that he uh, existed in the very form of God, but he did not consider equality with God something to hold on to. Instead, he emptied himself, became nothing, appeared in the form of a man, dwelt among us, died for us, and was raised again so that Someday every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that He is Lord. God, show us and make us Your Son as Lord this morning. I pray this in His name. Amen. Okay, please, greet one another. This morning I read from a a few verses, four from a single chapter in the book of Matthew. There were four four Old Testament uh, prophecies uh, which prove that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, God's chosen one who would redeem us and bring us back to God. Hebrews chapter 2 says this, it says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heaven, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. We live in a 
dark world. If you haven't really seen that, you've, you've been living in a cave or something. I mean, th this, this uh, morning, the front page of the paper, yet again, another explosion, more carnage, and to be sure, you know, it, uh, eventually, you know, we're not going to be able to, to run away from this type of thing. It's a, it's a dark world, and in a thousand different ways, this world is trying to break us loose from our confession. I want to talk this morning of the importance of holding fast to our confession, holding fast to what we believe. Jesus says in Matthew uh, 24, verse 23, he says, If anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive. If possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he is, he's in the desert, do not go out. Look, he's in the inner rooms. Do not believe it, for as the lightning comes from the east and flash to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be, for wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Again, Jesus caps off his warning by saying, wherever the carcass is, the eagles will be gathered together. Now, a carcass is a dead body. False messiahs, false religions, false value systems, and there are thousands of them in this world, represent death. And what Jesus is saying is that wherever there is something false, drawing people away from him, away from the truth, eagles will gather there. In other words, people will gather there around these false religions and these false values. But he warns us, do not Believe them. Don't. Don't go in. If they're, if they're saying it's in the inner room, don't go out if they're saying it's in the desert. Now, as I've mentioned several times in the last uh, few weeks, at the time that Jesus was born, the whole world, both Jew and non-Jew, both Jew and Gentile, were expecting a man to come from the region of Palestine who was going to um, uh, be a savior of, of the world. And, and it seems that God was stirring the hearts of all men uh, with the expectation of the coming of his son. And, and I, I said this a few weeks ago, I'm going to repeat these quotations again. Sidonius, a Roman historian, course, not a, a Christian um, or uh, a Jew, writing at the time of Christ says, there has spread over all the Orient the old and established belief that there is a man coming from Judea to rule over the world. Tacitus, another Roman historian, writes, uh, there's a firm persuasion that rulers from Judea were going to acquire universal empire. Josephus, the Jewish historian, wrote that the prevailing belief was that one from the nation of Israel would become governor of the inhabitable world and the Dead Sea Scrolls, which are some scrolls that were uh, found um, uh, last century uh, in some caves in the desert uh, that were written before Christ, are just filled uh, with a material about a great messianic expectation 
In other words, a Messiah was coming. And uh, no fewer, and this is amazing, no fewer than 400 people came out of the woodwork at the time of Christ claiming that they were the one. Wow. With 400 Messiahs coming out, how on earth was a person supposed to know who was the real one? Times have not changed. When you talk to people about Jesus, there's an enormous amount of confusion. Why? Because they, the people have already heard about so many Jesuses. The Jesus of the Mormons, the Jesus of the Jehovah's Witness, the Jesus of the Christian scientists, the uh, Jesus of the Scientologists, the Jesus of the Baha'i, uh, all who have their own version of who Jesus is. And, and, and we, living in America, we have no idea of the amounts of just groups all over the world claiming that they are the one. When Adley and I went to Peru last summer, we found uh, uh, out about this sect down there in Peru, and it's a group of people who call themselves uh, the, the real Jewish church, and um, they, uh, they follow the Old Testament to a T. What had happened in, in the middle of the last century, um, a Seventh-day Adventist had gone up into the Andes Mountains and began teaching the Bible from Genesis. And once he got to the end of the Old Testament, he got discouraged and he went back to the United States. But after he left, some of his disciples came down from the mountains and, and they claimed that they were the true church. And he and only, uh, they and only they had the truth. And they started a sect of Judaism which has, claims no connection at all with Israel or, or Jewish, other Jewish people. Uh, they follow the Old Testament to, to the T. They are kosher, meaning they only um, eat kosher. They dress, you know, with the same uh, garbs that are ordered in the Old Testament. And, and um, there are tens of thousands of these people in Peru. And there, they are the one true church, they say. Wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will gather. Wherever there's death, people, because of our fallen nature, people, um, we, we follow this. Uh, there's a tendency just in the depraved heart of man to, to follow after death. Hundreds, thousands of different people claiming they are the one. Jesus says, do not believe them. Even if everyone else follows, don't you? Brothers and sisters, nothing is more dangerous than a shallow, surface-like understanding of the Bible. Why? Because you will become easy prey to the hundreds of messiahs out there. Now, they may not call themselves a messiah, uh, but they claim they know the way. I mean, you know, even if it's sort of our universities where the way is sort of a humanism and, and, and you've got to follow that path, the path of, of man and the self-fulfillment of man. In Paul's letter to the Galatian church, Paul starts off the letter by saying, I marvel. Now, these people are people who actually had direct access to an apostle. It says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from Jesus who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, 
even if we are an angel from heaven, even if we or an angel with, from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. So what he's saying is that there are even angels, angelic beings that may come and tell you a different Jesus, don't follow them. You know, this should be a wake-up call to us because what that tells us is the people in Galatia, even though they had direct access to an apostle, they had a shallow understanding of the Bible and were easy prey to a new kind of faith and religion that came along. And you know, if it's not a, a quote-unquote religious faith, it'll be, it'll be the media. The average American watches 68 hours of TV a day. Now, whether it's eight hours a day or eight minutes, do not be deceived. All those shows you watch, all those commercials, all those programs, they are trying to sway you away from some, from your belief, or they're, or, 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 or they're trying to sway you to theirs. If you have a shallow understanding of God's Word, that show, that commercial, that program will pull you away from your Christ. TV commercials are paid for by big corporations. If one thing is bad business for a big corporation, it's people who have firm convictions rooted in the Bible. Nothing is worse for big business than a public who has a firm conviction of things in the Bible. The one thing that commercials will try to do is get, get you to soften those convictions just to soften, just a little bit, to pull you away. For example, the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3 that a woman's beauty should not be outward through the arranging of hair, the wearing of gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, it is the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Corporations pay, including the one I work for, pay hundreds of millions of dollars into commercials to loose you from those convictions, to, to loose you from them. Uh, you need this shampoo, or men will not be attracted to you. You need this jewelry, or your office workers will not look up to you. You need these clothes, or, or you will not gather friends around you. Jesus says, don't believe them. Do not believe them. Hundreds of different messiahs. So how is a person support, supposed to sort through 400 different messiahs who rose up around the time of Christ? How is a person today uh, to sort through all the messiahs, all the different angles on truth that are whirling around today? He or she needs to get beneath the surface of God's word. And it will become abundantly clear, crystal clear. I remember the first time I went snorkeling. How many of you have been snorkeling before? Snorkeling or underwater with a mask. The first time I was underneath the water with a mask and snorkel, I was 10 years old. I went snorkeling with my friend Teddy. 
and uh, it was in Venezuela, and I was on the Caribbean coast, and, and I went underneath with that mask, and it was utterly amazing. I, I don't know if you, you all have been starkly had the same um, experience. I mean, it was stunning. The, 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 the amount of fish, the colors, the vibrancy, the, the, the rich colors in the coral, the, the sea urch urchins, the sea, uh, uh, the sea horses, the, the texture of the sand, everything became crystal clear. But, you know, up until that time, I had such a shallow surface-like understanding of the sea. I grew up by the sea, but I had such a shallow understanding of what was underneath it. You know, what I knew of underneath the sea was when I was swimming underwater as a little kid, you know, you'd open your eyes for a second in the salt water and just, everything was a blur. But once I went down there with a mask and snorkel, it was a whole new world. Everything was crystal clear. And it's like that with the Word of God. Before reading it, it's, it's kind of like a blur. It's a guessing game. But you go beneath the surface and, and things start becoming crystal clear. Among other things, it becomes crystal clear who the Messiah is. And there, there is no doubt which of the 400 uh, the Messiah is. There will, will be no doubt whatsoever once you go beneath the surface. In a single chapter in the book of Matthew, Matthew 2, we find that the Messiah can be none other than Jesus Christ. You know, there may have been 400 Messiahs who came out of the woodwork at this time, uh, but there was only one whose life matched all the prophecies in the Old Testament. We have four of those in Matthew chapter 2. Now, a few weeks ago, um, we went through the genealogy in, uh, we went through the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, and we sold as many tapes as that sermon, of that sermon, than uh, uh, all except for one when I was, we were doing the tapes on the family. There was a tremendous, uh, you know, a lot of people buying that tape. But, but this tape on the genealogy of all things, which, which just have a notorious reputation for being boring and, and horrible, there were, uh, there were as many tapes as, as we've ever sold except for one, and, and that's because what we saw when we went beneath the surface is there was no possible natural explanation to those genealogies being there in Matthew and Luke. We looked at some Old Te Testament prophecies in, in the book of Samuel and the book of Jeremiah, and, and what we found, there's no natural explanation for what we read. And I want to do the same thing today, and my goal is to develop a faith that will not, must not, cannot be deceived by all those messiahs, all those value systems out there, uh, uh, commercials, college professors, TV, media personalities, where, whatever, that we need to try to, to stick, to, uh, stick to, to our Messiah, fa you know, hold fast to um, our confession. And, and, but, you know, we're going to go dive down under the surface, and uh, some, of the, some of the time here you're going to have to stick with me awful, awful closely because it does get a little complicated uh, on some of them. Now, the first one, uh, t Matthew chapter 2, is just the birthplace of Jesus. It says, in verse 6 of Matthew 2, two it says, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Now, at the time that Jesus was conceived, he was hundreds of miles from Bethlehem. 
He was up in the region of Galilee to the north. Now, there had been a, a time, listen carefully, when the Babylonians had come and had destroyed Israel, destroyed Jerusalem, and they had taken the Jews prisoners and they took them back to, to Babylon, to modern-day Iraq. We'll be talking more about this later, but um, after being taken away to Babylon, many of them came back, and among others the ancestors of Joseph and Mary came back. And they came back and they settled in Nazareth, in the, in the um, area of, of Galilee. And so that is where Mary and Joseph lived at the time that Jesus was conceived. Now, at the time that Jesus was conceived, things were not looking good at all for this prophecy in Micah. Jesus was in the wrong place. And, you know, um, I can imagine if, if one of us, you know, went back in time and, and we ran into uh, uh, Joseph and, and, and Mary and, uh, in Nazareth and we found out that Mary was pregnant, I can imagine one of us, you know, saying, well, no, wait a second, you, you don't understand, you have to get to Bethlehem. Yeah, hundreds of people, millions of people in the future are relying on you. You need to go. You need to pack your bags and go. But the, but the problem is there was no reason for them to leave Nazareth because um, Joseph was a stonemason or a carpenter. He had an established business. There was no reason for him to go. So Jesus was conceived. There's this, he, he is in Nazareth. Um, in Bethlehem, hundreds of miles to the south, that was the, the town, the city that, that the Old Testament said would, um, would be the birthplace of the Messiah. It really looked like the prophecy was going to fail. But you know, the Bible says in Proverbs, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. And you know, at this time, the Roman king Caesar decided to take a census, which required that everyone return to their hometown, which for Joseph and Mary was Bethlehem, because that is where King David was from, their uh, ancestor, and, and the ancestors of David were required to go to their hometown so that the census would be accurate. Now listen to this. This is, this is the amazing thing about this. We're, we're digging beneath the surface. We're, we're going underwater with our mask and snorkel. The amazing thing about this census was that the original decree to take this census was 27 years before. 27 years before the emperor made a decree. We're going to have a census and everyone needs to go back to their hometown. 27 years before. However... Because of disturbances in the Roman Empire, because of different wars and, and the lack of peace, each year it was postponed. Each year it was postponed. For, for 26 years it was postponed. And finally, in the 27th year, there was enough peace which would enable them uh, to, uh, uh, to take the census. So the emperor said, okay, now. I mean, that's amazing. If the census had happened any year prior to that, or if there had been an additional postponement, that Old Testament prophecy would not have been fulfilled. And the Bible would have been worth no more than the paper that it is printed on. 
But you know something? God, He knows our frame is dust. He knows our faith needs is weak and needs strengthening. He is faithful to every promise and prophecy given to man. And He moved in the heart of Caesar at that particular moment to sign that decree. And Joseph and Mary left Nazareth to go to Bethlehem. Didn't need any man going back or woman going back in time to help them out. God is in complete control of our circumstances. Time and again, God will speak to you in a certain way. He will call you to a particular course of action in your life and your circumstances will look like it ain't going to happen. Your circumstances will look like it's just not going to happen. But the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. Not only the king's heart, but your boss's heart, your husband's heart, your wife's heart, your uh, pastor's heart, your friend's heart. Every man and woman's heart is in the hand of the Lord like rivers of water. He turns them any way he wants to accomplish his purposes. So by faith, brothers and sisters, continue that path that God has set you on and watch the Lord miraculously open up the way. If we refuse to live a life by faith, among other things, what will happen is we will lose the ability, we will lose the, the privilege of seeing the mighty hand of God at work in our life. So this was the first prophecy in Matthew 2, which confirms that Jesus is the Messiah, not those 399 other guys who had risen up. Jesus, that was the first. The second prophecy uh, in Matthew 2 is a prophecy from Hosea, um, and it says there uh, in verse 15, at the uh, end of verse 15, it says, Out of Egypt I called my son. Out of Egypt I call my son. Why don't you turn with me to Hosea chapter 11. That is to your left a few hundred uh, pages. Actually, probably less than that. Depends how big your Bible is or small your Bible is. Hosea chapter 11. Verse 1. Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. I'd like to... I'm having you turn there so you can see with your own eyes uh, the fulfillment of this prophecy. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Now, many skeptics and mockers and, you know, opponents, enemies of the Bible... Well, they have a field day with this. They just say, well, this verse in Hosea applies to Israel, you know, when they were taken out of Egypt by Moses. But, you know, the amazing thing is that when people attack the Bible, instead of revealing how smart they are, they're revealing how they haven't done their homework. Because if they had done their homework, they would have found out that at the time of Christ, uh, the Jewish writings at the time of Christ, of which, of course, Matthew, the writer of this book, was a Jew, 
he would have been familiar with these writings. And, and you will find out that, that Jews considered this verse and others like it a messianic verse. They were convinced that the life of the Messiah would be an embodiment of what happened with the nation of Israel. In other words, they thought the nation of Israel and the events that happened with the nation of Israel were just a shadow of what was a precursor of what was to come in the Messiah. So they were convinced that many things that happened to Israel, including coming out of Egypt, would happen with the Messiah. And that's what they believed at the time. And so, uh, you know, to us reading it today, it may look like, uh, you know, Matthew is just, you know, uh, taking this out of context. But to someone living at the time, this would have been a, an astonishing revelation that Jesus actually went to Egypt and came out of Egypt and fulfilling the prophecy in Hosea, out of Egypt I called my son. But you know, once again, it looked like the prophecy was going to fail. What did we learn last month, last week? Uh, we learned that, um, that Jesus was 18 months old when the wise men showed up. And when, you know, the massacre happened in Bethlehem, he was 18 months old and he was still in Bethlehem. I mean, again, if one of us had gone back in time and, and, and gone into to, to Joseph and Mary's house and there's little Jesus, you know, running around uh, playing with blocks or whatever. Uh, and we would have, you know, we said, wait, Joseph, Mary, you got to get out of here. You got to go to Egypt. You know, millions of people in the future are relying on you. You need to you need to go. But God doesn't need man to, to fulfill his promises. This time it was a dream. In verse 13, uh, you see that uh, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, take the young child and his mother and flee to Egypt. Of course, this was because Herod was coming into Bethlehem and was going to massacre all the kids underneath uh, who were under two years old. So this was the second prophecy in Matthew 2, which confirms that, that Jesus is the Messiah. The third prophecy fulfilled in Matthew chapter 2 is verse 18. Verse 18 of Matthew chapter 2. It says, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Now, verse 18 of Matthew chapter 2 comes from Jeremiah chapter 31. And, and it's referring, it's talking about the town of Ramah, which is very close to Bethlehem. And Ramah was the place that is really, uh, and Bethlehem actually is too, associated with Rachel because it is in Ramah where Rachel purchased, um, um, Jacob purchased some land to bury his wife, Rachel. Now, this, where it says a voice was heard in Ramah weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, this was referring to that time where the Babylonians had come in and destroyed Jerusalem and taken, uh, the, uh, they took a lot of the young children uh, of the nobility and, and they took them back to what is modern day Iraq. And so what happened, it was uh, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Now, again, one might say, well, what does this have to do with Jesus? But again, the people, the Jews living at the time of Jesus were convinced 
that th an event like this, the children being wiped out, would be a, 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 a sign that the Messiah had come on the scene. And so um, when they, you know, you know, when they saw this happening, um, th they were like, wow. Uh, this, this, the Messiah uh, must be here. Uh, in other words, their reaction uh, would be a lot like our reaction um, w w was, or our parents were, um, if they were Christians, when Israel was established in 1948, because the Old Testament and the New Testament says, uh, points to the fact that Israel, uh, when it becomes a nation again, will be a precursor to the Messiah coming. And so the people who were witnessing this slaughter of children, um, a light would have gone on in their head and they would have said, wow, the Messiah must be here. The Messiah must be here because they believed that Israel was an embodiment or that the Messiah would be an embodiment of the many things that happened to Israel. So the third prophecy in Matthew chapter 2 confirming that Jesus was the Messiah um, was there in verse 18. Now, the one in verse 23 is my favorite. I think this is the most spectacular um, of them all. Verse 23 says, And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth. This is Joseph and Mary with Jesus. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. Notice that's plural. That's very important. We'll talk about this a little later. Plural, prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. Now, some people have made the mistake and, and, and assumed that this referred to uh, what the Old Testament is, uh, refers to as the Nazarene uh, commitment, where you, you know, you don't shave and, and you know, you don't have grapes or, or uh, fermented drink and, and, you know, like John the Baptist took a Nazarene vow, but that's for sinners, People who don't sin like Jesus don't need to take a, a Nazarene vow. And, and he, he didn't, uh, never took a Nazarene um, vow. Uh, he, in fact, obviously Jesus drank wine. And, and um, I don't know if he shaved, but uh, <laughs> according to those pictures we see of, uh, of him, uh, it looks like a well-trimmed beard. But, uh, but anyway, um, the key here is that the Hebrew wo root word for Nazarene here in verse 23 is the word Natsir, Natsir. Now, some of you Jewish folks out there have better, better uh, pronunciation, but Natsir means branch, branch. Now, to, to this day, many Jewish people call Christ, Christians Natsirim, or people of the branch. Now, now what, what prophets, plural, is, is verse 23 talking about? It says, um, it says, and he came and dwelt in Nazareth, um, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, plural, he shall be called a Nazarene. Well, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Zechariah, all, all of them refer to the coming Messiah as the branch, as the branch. And there were eight words that Jews used to use or, and still do to refer to the coming Messiah. The number one in importance that you will see in the Old Testament is the word branch. The branch. The branch uh, will be the Messiah. Okay, now let's go down beneath the surface, down into the ocean with our mask and snorkel and see the beauty underneath. Listen to 
Isaiah. You don't have to turn with, uh, with me, but listen to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. Now, you've got to listen carefully here. Isaiah uh, 11, verse 1 says this, There shall come forth a shoot, like a twig, a shoot or a twig, from the stem of Jesse. Who was Jesse? Jesse was King David's father. There shall come forth a, a shoot from the, uh, the stem of Jeffy, Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Now, who is Jesse? Jesse is King David's father. Remember um, all the Old Testament prophecies that we've already been through saying that the Messiah was going to come from be, being the lineage of King David. Now, what does it mean there uh, where it says um, stump? What is the stump of Jesse in, um, in Isaiah 11? Well, a stump is all that's left of a tree that is cut off, right? A stump is le uh, all that's left of a tree that is cut off. And we know, and, and any secular historian knows, that the, um, the lineage of kings uh, who descended from David were cut off, actually permanently. Uh, uh, cut off, um, and, uh, and that's the stump here, the stump of Jesse. And it's sort of a, a sad kind of image that all that's left is this stump because the line of kings uh, was uh, cut off. However, it says that a twig or a shoot will come up from that stump, and that will, and out of that twig or shoot, the branch, the Messiah will come. Now listen carefully because here's where it gets really good. In about 150 B.C., 150 B.C., a group of families, all of whom descended from David, left Babylon to where they had been taken prisoner, their ancestors had been taken prisoner, they went off to Babylon, and a group of families who descended from David, they came back. And um, they uh, settled and actually created, started this village, um, and they called it Natsara, the root word for that being, Hebrew root word being branch, emphasizing that they were descendants of David, people of the branch. And so uh, when Joseph was in Egypt uh, with the baby Jesus, and he w actually he was first going to return to Bethlehem, so, at, at, you know, yet again, we see, uh, wow, the prophecy's going to fail. He was going to return to Bethlehem, but he found out that Herod's um, son, Archelaus, was now the king. Now, if anyone could possibly be uh, worse than Herod, it was his son, Archelaus. Archelaus, as soon as he uh, got on the throne, murdered 3,000 Jewish uh, men in the temple courts. And I mean, he was a mean and wicked dude. And when Joseph found out that um, he was on the throne, instead, um, I, I, many scholars believe he did go to Bethlehem, but whether he went to Bethlehem or not, he continued on to Nazareth, the, the, the branch, the city of the branch. And so fulfilling this prophecy, Jesus growing up, he shall be called a Nazarene. 
and, and, and what I think is so neat there is the plural of the word prophets. Many of the prophets um, said that he's going to be a Nazarene, a person of the branch, um, from the city of the branch. And so, um, you know, just preparing for the message today was such an encouragement to me. I mean, you know, I have a, a number of things going, problems going on at work which have been stressing me out because, you know, all kinds of things need to happen. All kinds of circumstances need to be arranged in order for them really uh, to go the way I, I believe um, God's wanting them to go. But, you know, just reading this, just reading this and digging beneath the surface of the Bible, you start realizing that being anxious about anything at all is absurd. God is in control of your circumstances. And, and even though, uh, you know, to strengthen our faith, sometimes He waits to the very last second, uh, you know, very last second to call, call that census and, and make Joseph and Mary go to, to, to Bethlehem, He has control of your circumstances and He will orchestrate all the circumstances of your life to bring about exactly the purpose he has for you, which the Bible says is a good purpose. It's a, it's a, it's a prosperous purpose. It's a, it's a purpose to, to bring you good. And, and He has orchestrated it. And, and if you live by His Word, according to His Word, He will bring it about. But I want to return to the main point of my message. At the time of Christ, 400 people claiming to be the Messiah. Today, hundreds, thousands of different voices trying to capture our mind, trying to lure us away from what we believe. Uh, but remember what Jesus says in Matthew 24, verse 23. If anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not be. Leave it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. If they say, look, he's in the desert, don't go out. If they say he's in the inner room, don't go in. Jesus says, don't believe them. Don't you believe them. Hold fast to your confession. Hold fast to what you believe. Hold fast to your Lord. As we just saw, the, the Word of God has made it so clear who the real Messiah is, who the real Christ is. Just one chapter from the Bible, just Matthew chapter 2, just even one has made it so abundantly clear. It was with this. Did you ever wonder why Joseph just didn't stay in Bethlehem? I mean, he knew that Herod was going to come and massacre you know, all the little kids, but, but his son was God. I mean, why, why did he have to leave? I mean, I, you know, he, his son was God. Well, one reason is, is so all the prophecy would be fulfilled. But to me, the more important thing is this. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 says, In all things, Jesus had to be made like his brethren, that he might be merciful and, and a faithful high priest. For in that, he himself has suffered. Being tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempered, tempted. And in, in Hebrews chapter 3, the next chapter, verse 15, it says, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. 
Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in our time of need. You know, that is such a comfort to me. If Jesus had stayed in Bethlehem and just, you know, gotten a, a, you know, an army of these 10-foot angels in front of Joseph's house, you know, any uh, soldier of Herod that came along, it's like, tink, you know, and they would have been slayed. How could he have possibly related to us? That The Bible says that in every way he was tempted and tested as we are. He knows what it's like to live uh, in an environment of fear where there's bombs going off here and there and, 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 you know, uh, and, and, and people you know, going crazy and shooting people like it happened in Dudley Square this week. He, he knows what it's like. He knows what it's like. And, and that is the, the high priest that we have. And so that is why we can go into the throne of grace with confidence. You know, Hebrews chapter 3 also says this. It says, all things are naked and open to the eyes of the Lord to whom we must give an account. He knows that suffering way deep down in our soul. He knows that guilt. He knows all about the shame way down. You know, we put on our people face when we come to church. But, but you know, all of us have that, you know, that corner deep in the recesses of our soul that, that, that God knows about. And, and he can minister to. He knows what it's like to live in a world of ter- terrorism. He's so close to, the, to us, if only we are willing to go into the throne room. So many of us are loitering around outside the palace instead of going into the throne room, the, the throne of grace. Brothers and sisters, it's when we are close and personal with him uh, in the throne room where that security, that peace is. You know, all those messiahs, those voices trying to pull us away, the TV, the magazines, the media, you know, when we're holding fast to Christ in His throne room, when we have our mask and snorkel on and we're, we're in the deep, deep in His Word, let me tell you, there's no devil in hell that will be able to pull us away. Romans 8 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present or things to come nor height or depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He has shown himself to us so clearly. Don't believe what you hear outside in the world. Don't believe it. Stand fast with your confession. He's made it so clear to us who he is and what he is all about. Don't believe it. Hold fast to your Lord. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just thank you that when you do an operation on our heart, it's successful surgery. And you have done an operation on our heart, Lord God, if if we have, have, have committed our life to you, that we will be able to stand firm to the end, as your word 
says we must. And Father, in the name of Jesus, I just ask you if there's any person in here, Lord, who has never, ever asked Christ into their life, who has never, ever said no to themselves, no to the world, and yes to you, who's never come to the place where they have forsaken all, where they have left all and committed their lives to you. God, I I just pray that you settle it with them in their heart this morning. And God, for all of us, I just pray, Lord, that you'd open our eyes, that we would go deep into the throne room where no demon, no devil, no, no thing of this world, no principality can take us away from. God, we thank you for the throne room. We thank you for your grace and mercy. And, and Lord, right now, we ask you for grace of mercy and mercy in our time of need. We need you, Lord. We need all of you. God, I just pray that all of us will, will leave this, this room today holding fast to our confession by the grace that you've given us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, God bless you. If anybody needs prayer, please come up.